and welcome to Palace Confidential. It's your one-stop shop for all of the royal news and views exclusively on Mail Plus. I'm Jo Elvin, and just as the country was entering a new stage of opening up from the pandemic this week, the news came that Her Majesty the Queen had contracted COVID-19 and was isolating at Windsor with mild symptoms, which has forced her to cancel some virtual engagements. So let's start today by speaking to the Daily Mail's royal editor, Rebecca English, on the very latest on the Queen's condition. Good morning, Rebecca. Um, now, the palace have been working very hard for the last two years to protect the Queen from this horrible virus, but, you know, it, it seems to befall all of us in the end, and these measurements weren't enough. How's she doing? Yeah, well, I should say, excuse my voice, because uh, the Queen is not the only one who's confined to her private apartments this week with COVID. But like her, I have got mild cold symptoms and are undertaking light duties like Palace Confidential. So... We're both in the same boat. But yeah, I, there is a bit of an update today on the Queen. Um, really how it's happened is it's very much like it's happened to all of us. You know, we've all been in bubbles for two years and now restrictions are starting to relax. And, you know, there's a bit more of free flow going on and she has picked it up. Um, but I've been told by the palace this morning um, that she has been forced to uh, cancel the couple of virtual engagements that she hoped to hold this week. She was on the telephone to the Prime Minister on Wednesday night holding their weekly audience, uh, but the virtual engagements have had to go. Now, I should stress you shouldn't worry because although Buckingham Palace are not saying anything about it, I've been told by my sources it's really just because she sounds a bit like me. She's a bit full of cold and a bit croaky and it's just not really appropriate for her to be on a video call. Um, but uh, she is on the mend, I'm told. Well, that's good to hear. Now, the palace have been very guarded in the past when it comes to the Queen's health. Obviously, that's a private business. But have they handled it differently this time? They have. And you'll remember that uh, reporters such as me were quite critical of their approach last year when uh, she went into hospital and they didn't tell us about it because there is always a delicate balance between her private medical information, but she is also a head of state. Uh, but this year they were very proactive. They were very proactive. Um, we were told on Sunday that she had tested positive that morning um, and they told us that she wasn't suffering too badly. It was this mild cold-like symptoms. They did say they wouldn't give a running commentary on how she was doing during the week, but they've been fairly, fairly open uh, most days about uh, what she was planning to do, what she couldn't, couldn't do. And do you think we should read too much into these cancelled engagements? No, as, as I said, I mean, Buckingham Palace aren't saying anything, but um, I, I've been told uh, no. It's, you know, she's a 95-year-old woman. She's a very dignified woman. And I don't think she wants to be sounding particularly even slightly ill on, on camera. And I think actually what they're trying to do is next week on Wednesday, we have the first of these three uh, public engagements they've announced for her in March, which is the diplomatic reception that was going to be held at Windsor Castle, which could involve her standing on her feet for up to an hour and meeting hundreds of people. Um, I personally don't think that will happen. I think what they will do is get her out for a short period of time and leave the heavy lifting, what they call the grip and grinning, to other senior members of the royal family. But from what I understand, she really does want to attend this engagement next week. So I suspect that's another reason why they're scaling back what she's doing this week. Now, imagine being the person who gave the Queen COVID-19. Um, we know that Prince Charles and Camilla had contracted it the week before. Is it thought that that's where she's caught it from? No, definitely not. And actually, uh, the palace kind of in, in their own in a way kind of made that point 
quietly but very seriously. Um, I think Charles met a, a good week, almost 10 days before she tested positive. Uh, and there has been an outbreak of cases at Windsor Castle as uh, as kind of restrictions are relaxed. And uh, she's one of the people who've gone down with it and she's not alone. Now, the Queen may be taking things slowly this week, thank goodness, but her future successor, Catherine, has been busy on a solo tour in Denmark. Is it fair to say that she will be taking on more and more of these solitary royal duties? Absolutely. I mean, it's not the first one she's done, but I'd say it's one of the most significant. And I think what we've seen this week that's been different is, is really her sense of confidence as she does this. It's all about the kind of early years and childhood and encouraging the best possible childhood for our, childhoods for our children. And this is a subject she knows a lot about. She feels really confident about it. And, and I think that came across in the way she engaged with people out there and also engaged with the press because as someone who has covered her around the world since she joined the royal family just over 10 years ago i can tell you i i can't even well i can't even think of an occasion where at a public engagement she's engaged with the media she pretty much puts her head up and walks past us and ignores us. But this week there was even a joke with the press as she went down a slide at the Lego factory and kind of engaging with them. And actually that made for much better pictures, much better television. Um, you know, her joyfulness and her enthusiasm came across. So I think it's a, you know, a big tick, 10 out of 10 for this week. Yeah, I wonder if she'll be regretting the joke about babies, working with babies, making her broody, because now inevitably everybody's going to ask, is this a hint at a fourth royal baby? Yeah, you're a bit of a hostage to fortune when you say things like this, aren't you? And she basically said that she loves being on engagement with the children so much that when she comes home, William starts to worry because she says, oh, let's have another one. Um, but I'll be honest, a couple of years ago, I kind of, well, cheekily, straight, rudely asked Prince William about this. And he made very clear that he wasn't going to entertain the idea of another one. Uh, I think never say never, but uh, I think it's unlikely, put it that way. Thank you very much, Rebecca. Now let's bring my panel in now as we have so much to talk about. This week I'm joined by Robert Hardman, royal biographer, documentary maker and the man behind the How I See It column in the Daily Mail. And after a week's break from the show where people <laughs> melted down at his absence, the Daily Mail's diary editor, Richard Eden, is back. Welcome to you both. Thank you for being here. Richard, we know you're a big Kate fan, yeah. aren't you? Um, how do you think she's done in Denmark this week? I'm not sure I'd say fan. I'd say, um, you know, admirer. admirer of the. Okay, <laughs> let's just call it what it is. Admirer yeah. of the Duchess of Cambridge. No, I think we've, <laughs> we've seen her at her best. And I think, you know, it's really interesting the way that she um, undertakes tours and engagements on her own now and with such confidence that was sort of almost unthinkable um, not that long ago, really. And she's served as a great ambassador. It's obviously it's a cause that's closest to her heart about early years, childhood development. And that's given her a chance to go to Denmark and see they seem to be pioneers in Denmark of various um, aspects of early years learning. And she's gone there to learn from them, but also clearly had a lot of fun, you know, doing things like coming down the slide. And um, because play is such a key aspect to it for children, she's been happy to sort of take part in that. And so I think it's been a real sort of feel good trip. And hopefully yeah. she's learned quite a bit of useful stuff that she can build on back here. Mm. Robert, you've interviewed the Queen of Denmark, haven't you? How do the two royal families get on? What can you uh, tell us? They get on extremely well. Um, they're distantly related. I mean, Prince Philip, of course, was a prince of Greece and Denmark. Uh, and 
Um, Queen Magretta is uh, a, a staunch Anglophile. She went to boarding school here in Hampshire. She went to Cambridge, actually, studied archaeology like Prince Charles. She said to me that when she's in Britain, she dreams in English. Um, she loves coming here. She what comes a patriotic soundbite. I love that, yeah. <laughs> and she comes, yeah. she comes um, uh, totally anonymously once a year, just before Christmas. She loves coming and doing her Christmas shopping here. She loves this country. She's a great ally. But I think what this, what this trip by the Duchess of Cambridge this week also showed us is this sort of parallel royal diplomacy that goes on. I mean, Britain's relations with Europe have been pretty checkered since Brexit, and, and they're at a political and diplomatic bilateral level. They're, they're tricky. Yeah. Um, but what you can have is this completely separate strand, which is the monarchies just doing their thing. And, and it's, it, it sends out a very strong message. If you look at the the, the, the incoming state visits we've had since Brexit. They've been, you know, the King of Spain, the King of Holland, and now we've got, you know, our royal family going over to, 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 to doing joint engagements with, with the Danish royal family. And it just shows that some things um, sort of trump politics, really. Um, you know, these are two families that go back thousands, well, hundreds of years, anyway. Um, and and it's, 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 it's nice to see it. And they can, they can just slot in at a very different level from politicians or diplomats yeah. and, and talk as family to family and it, it's it, it works really well really really vital question for me where does Queen Margaret like to shop when she comes Christmas shopping <laughs> she I, I know she she tends to stay in the Chelsea area so um, and, Smart and, woman. and, 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 uh, and around Knightsbridge so I can't imagine which shop she goes yeah, I don't know there's I've a never, couple of I've never gone shopping with around her. there yeah, yeah I don't believe you Richard this was always planned as a solo trip for Catherine obviously but mm with all the talk of a slimmed-down monarchy sort of like planned for the future, that it's inevitable that she will do more in this way, right? I think it is, certainly, and I think they've cleverly divided things up. So in, in the past, I mean, certainly with the Queen and Prince Philip, obviously the engagements were nearly always um, together. And in William and Catherine's case, they think they can cover more, they can achieve more and reach out to more charities if they do things separately a lot of the time. And it also avoids that slightly embarrassing thing sometimes where you'd have a visit and no one would be interested in Prince William, perhaps. They all might be focused on, you or know... Prince William. <laughs> ..what Catherine's doing or what she's wearing or whatever. And so I think it avoids any tensions that way as well. Mm. Not, not that um, William's ever, you know, complained. But I think it's a very good way of sort of spreading the royal family and the royal effect. And as you say, they will have to do more of that with fewer of them to go round. Do you think it's probably taken her a while to feel like a bona fide royal. You know, she wasn't born into royalty. It must take a lot of time to sort of like grow into that confidence that didn't you, you are it, part of the firm. Didn't you find it interesting sweet when you saw pictures of her with Crown Princess Mary? And it was easy to forget that Catherine is not our Crown Princess. You yeah. Know, our Crown Princess is Camilla. Um, but it shows you that, to me, it shows the sort of status that William and Catherine have, that even, you know, when Charles and Camilla are on the thrones, it will be almost like a sort of dual monarchy with, with William and Catherine. It's going to be very, very interesting. But um, let's bring Rebecca English back now. And there have been a couple of new royal developments. The first is your story today about the councillors of state, Rebecca, those who can act for the Queen if she is ill or abroad. What can you tell us? Yeah, so as you rightly say, councillors of state are basically the members of the royal family that will act for the Queen uh, if she's incapacitated. And I think... It's easy for people to think, for people to think oh, this is a bit art length, it's a bit archaic. Uh, 
But actually, as the Queen gets older and inevitably suffers more ill health, I think this is an issue that's going to become increasingly relevant or irrelevant. And there's a new uh, House of Commons library report that's come out. And they're not making recommendations. They're just setting down from M for MPs the, um, the, the, the practicalities of the situation, what's what. And it seems from this report to be very clear that uh, of those four councils of state that exist at the moment, which is the Prince of Wales, uh, Duke of Cambridge, Duke of Sussex and the Duke of York, uh, the Duke of Sussex really isn't eligible to be one because he hasn't been a resident uh, in the UK for kind of two and a half years now. Um, but it does seem like there is nothing that would disbar Andrew, even though he has stepped down as a royal family, a member of the royal family, he's utterly disgraced and not even allowed to use his HRH. But because he is in the line of succession, he would still be able to stand in for his mother if she uh, she ever wasn't able to conduct her, to conduct her duties to a full extent. So it, it's a really interesting topic, I think. It's interesting and I think likely to be very upsetting for a lot of people, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the thought of Prince Andrew, given what's gone on in the last couple of years, being able to appoint ministers, affix the royal seal to official documents, will fill a lot of people with horror. And I think others will feel that, you know, by his actions and the way he's quit royal duties and, and moved halfway across the world, Harry shouldn't be entitled to do it either. What I think is interesting is that, that the Queen could make this clear this up very easily if she wanted to by issuing it what's known as a letters patent and I'm sure you'll speak to Robert about this because he's he's even more of an expert on it than I am but he it's a really it's basically a letter of the Queen's will saying as your Queen this is what I want to happen so she could issue a letters patent and just say Harry and Andrew are out of the running and I'm going to appoint Anne and Edward in their place um Anne and Edward used to be councillors of state before William and Harry came of age so there's no reason why she couldn't do it Speaking of Harry, there was a story on the weekend that suggested that Harry is renewing the lease at Frogmore Cottage, which would allow him to stay on in the role in some sort of technicality. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I think to the paper who published this report, the story about Harry renewing the lease on Frogmore is true. Um, he says that it will be their home you know, moving forwards, despite everything that's going on with the High Court at the moment. And, and that's the case. I just think there was probably a bit of topspin too much top's been put on the story um, and, and trying to equate it with the whole council of state issue. Um, it would be Buckingham Palace keep on saying to me there's no change at the moment, there are no plans to, to move legally on this. Uh, I contacted Harry's representatives, as I always do when I'm running a story about him, to see what they wanted to say. And as usual, I, I hear nothing back. Um, but I think it's something that... I say I think it's something that needs to be dealt with sooner rather than later. And uh, it's quite intriguing that no one seems to be in a hurry to do it. Um, you also suggest in your story today that some are concerned about how the Sussexes might react if he was removed. And, you know, they don't, they don't take much on the chin, do they? Well, exactly. And, you know, I, I would stress that uh, no one uh, who, who's involved in the decision making process has suggested to me this to me. But people I know who know about 
the royal household and the way it works ha have wondered quite loudly whether it could be that the Queen just doesn't want to antagonise her grandson. Um, you know, as you rightly say, you know, Harry does tend to fly off the handle at the smallest things. As we know, he was very unhappy, for example, about a photograph that didn't feature him uh, being included in the Queen's broadcast one year. Um, so to be uh, actually legally removed as a Council of State, a state might be seen as, uh, as poking the bear, should we say. Indeed. Well, thank you, Rebecca. Let's hear again from our panel. Robert, a couple of years ago, very few people knew about the councillors of state, and now it seems to be this thing that's causing almost panic at the palace. Well, it's, it's something that's always been there, um, and, and, and it's, it's sort of become more of a, of a thing, if you like, during this reign, because the Queen has travelled a lot when she's away. There needs to be a mechanism for maintaining um, affairs of state in her absence. And, and so councillors of state are appointed from, as Rebecca pointed out, this, this, this pool. It's usually been the spouse of the monarch plus the four, four, four first in line um, over the age of 21. Um, it would, I think, be, um, you know, it would, would definitely invite all sorts of uh, debate and, and, as Rebecca points out, um, doubtless upset the Duke of Sussex if he was somehow sort of debarred. And particularly, I think the public would find it very odd if he was suddenly um, removed as a councillor of state, but the Duke of York wasn't. Mm. Um, it might, there's the sort of technicalities and the practicalities. I mean, you need councillors of state to be here to, to conduct business. So if he's in L.A., then he obviously can't do the job. I think the way round this, and what, what's happened over the years, it, 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 as, as Rebecca says, you know, you, the Queen can issue letters patent saying, I want this to happen. But the, the framework for that is still governed by um, Act of Parliament. So it's, ultimately, this isn't a matter for the Queen. It's a matter for Boris Johnson and the government. And what I would suggest they do is rather than sort of fiddle around deciding who can be a councillor of state, just expand it. Just say, you know, it could be the first, we'll get, we could pick from the first ten or whatever. Well, that was then, going to be my next question, is who should it be Well, then, you, then, you, can, then, the, then you, you can say, well, um, you know, we'll take A, B and C. You might say, well, actually, um, Prince Charles is in the country, he could be one, and we'll take Princess Anne, she could be the other. Or if Prince Charles and the Duke of Cambridge are away, then you could say, well, we'll have the Princess Royal and we'll have the Earl of Wessex. It just, it just removes the... The, 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 the controversy, I, I think, at this stage, to suddenly sort of strip the, the Duke of Sussex of something that he hasn't really done and, and doesn't really need, it's sort of, um, I think the phrase in the paper today was poking the bear, but I, I think, you know, understandably, he would feel hurt. There's pussyfooting around Andrew's position, though. It yeah. does seem to fly in the face of all the ruthlessness in other quarters. I'm getting a bit wound up by this talk of, I can you know, tell. not, not, not um, poking the bear. Who cares? Look, this is ridiculous. You know, what are we going to have? Maybe where, everyone's just bored you know, with the legal risks. Some, the... <laughs> someone who lives in L.A. potentially is legally um, could be called upon to carry out duties for the Queen. And, and with so you, are Andrew, you more upset about that than Prince Andrew? Um, both of them. They right. should be stripped. I mean, it's very diplomatic of Robert's sake could be extended. But... No, they need to be stripped of it so that people can see that Prince Andrew would never be stepping in for the Queen. And I was very heartened by the fact that on the cover of this parliamentary document, um, research document, there were pictures of Princess Anne and Prince Edward. So I think they'd be very sensible um, replacements. Mm. But no, I think it does need to be addressed. And people say, oh, it doesn't matter. But I pay my car insurance every year and I, I don't expect to have a crash, but it, it needs to be done. Do you think that there's any sense that people are just nervous about pushing the Queen on this? I mean, she's really had a lot of real trauma, I think, yeah, in the last couple I'm, of years. I'm sure, I'm yeah. sure, you know, wouldn't, no one would want to sort of 
you know, go in there and say, well, you know, ma'am, I think we've got to sort this out. But uh, if, if, it's, if it's on the ministerial advice, then she just goes along with it. And I can see, uh, I don't think it's beyond the wit of man for ministers to sort this out quite easily. Do you think this is another thing that Prince Charles is maybe like just waiting to... Well, sort out in a, in a new monarchy. You're right. As, as soon as he's king, there will be um, it will be all changed anyway, and that's when they would mm. amend the act or whatever. So I suspect officials they're trying to avoid problems. They think, oh, can't we just kick it into the long grass? But to which I'd say, no, they can't. And I think the fact that Parliament had produced this paper, um, which Rebecca disclosed in the paper today, to me shows that you know it is being given some thought, and they're thinking about how to do it. So please um, do get on with it. Get on with it. You heard it here first. Eden's had enough. Let's move on to happier things because one celebration that even Harry and Andrew are expected to attend is the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, which is, of course, taking place in June. And among the many products being released to help the public celebrate is this, which I happen to have here, this English sparkling wine from the Royal Collection Trust, which comes from vineyards in Kent and Sussex. And, well, I thought it would be rude not to try it. So... Cheers, gents. Let me know what you think. Richard, you attend many a society function. Mm. What do you think? Mm, yeah. Does it measure it's, up? It's there was a bit good. of a pause there. Um, it's quite expensive, I must say. How much is um, it? I think it's about £40, isn't oh, it, wow. a bottle. Yeah. Um, but it's nice. And I think often at parties, people like to show off and serve their own wine, you know. Um, Lord Ashcroft always does that with his, his vineyards, and that's a He always wine. does that when <laughs> yeah. we're all invited there. Yeah. Um, but this is good, yeah, definitely. I would serve it at a street party. You happy with that, Robert? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 prefer, <laughs> I prefer the Windsor Great Park sparkling wine, which um, the, the, the Queen makes herself. Um, they have a vineyard in the park. Well, she which literally makes it herself. I'm not sure she's out there treading the grapes, yeah. but uh, it was planted by Prince Philip a few years ago, Aww. and it started making really very good sparkling white wine that, that has won in sort of blind tastings. It's sort of beaten many champagnes to the point that now the Queen serves it at state banquets. It's used to toast um, the honoured guests. Can so, I buy it in Tesco? Uh, you can buy it. I think you can get it online. It's, it's limited edition stuff. It's about the same price as this, but it goes almost as soon as it's on the market. There's, there's very little of it around, but there's, it's, it's uh, about 3,000 vines, um, and they grow down towards a lake in the middle of the Great Park, and um, that, I'd say it trumps this well, stuff. I, didn't, yeah, I was going to say, would, so you wouldn't be into this as a souvenir, maybe some crockery instead? Uh, yes, maybe a, a, a nice. Uh, actually, I, I think a nice, a, a, nice, a nice, a nice jubilee teacup. I think mug actually with a sort of bit well, of E2R. Feel free on to it. take this palace confidential no, E2R heirloom. On it. I, want, yeah. I, want, I want, I want proper <laughs> branded merch, please. Well, I think my mother would expect a sort of platinum jubilee tea towel, but maybe I'll invest in a. The Daily Mail's got one of them already. Year. Yes, you yeah. just <laughs> get one from the paper. I think if they're allowed, they should put the Queen's face on it, and then all the Americans will buy it. Mm. I, think that, they, I think that arms. that would appeal. Yeah. Mm. Yes, I don't think the label looks royal enough. No. The the label is uh, apparently based on the design of her coronation gown. So um, there's, that's possibly yeah, that, a little niche. That's but... probably a bit niche for this old Aussie. But that is all we have time for on this week's Palace Confidential. Robert Rich and I have to go and get drunk now. But my thanks as ever to my guests, Rebecca English, Robert Harbin and Richard Eden. And of course, to you for watching. We're going to enjoy a glass of fizz, but we will see you next time. Cheers for now.